Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. In this episode is my talk with the Riverview Baptist Youth Group on being a Great Commission apologist and getting into what apologetics so anyway, is. Anyway, that, with that said, um, most apologetics talks, if you if you get out there and you're listening to people talk about apologetics, they're going to start with First Peter three fifteen. And what I want to do, you don't have to go, you don't have to go turn in your Bibles unless you want to read it um, in Matthew twenty eight. But I want to talk about the Great Commission. Um, before we talk about apologetics, this is square one. Even though whenever you go out there, you're probably not going to hear that from a, an apologist teaching what apologetics is. But who here knows that the great the Great Commission? Are we all good Baptists here? Know the Great Commission? Yeah. The Great Commission. <clears throat> you all know it. Maybe not by that title. But it is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus speaking. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is square one of apologetics. And I'm glad that we get to start with you guys tonight um, in your lives to where we don't have to, you don't go so far to have to peel a lot of stuff back because that's a lot of work between you and somebody else working these things out. But keep this in mind, you were told, starts with the Great Commission, that we are to, because Jesus has authority over everything, he owns the world. He has authority over the whole world. Because of that, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded, Jesus being with us always. So again, usually we talk about apologetics. This isn't the starting point in conversation, but this is what I want to talk about. Yes, it's a, uh, usually when there's a talk about the fundamentals of apologetics, we start with 1 Peter 3.15, stay there in your Bibles. And this is a major place that we see the command to defend. And we'll get to that, but there's much more in Peter's letter and the whole of scripture that must be discussed prior to the doing of apologetics, the verb form of apologetics, the action. So um, as we'll see from 1 Peter, if the Great Commission isn't the root of apologetics, our apologetic falls flat, missing the whole point, the goal, you know, the end game of apologetics. If the Great Commission isn't at the root, if what we're not doing is coming out of the Great Commission, apologetics is meaningless, it's good for nothing, it's not going to do anything. So it's from this historical event and the commands that were given in it that apologetics springs, and because, and this is because 1 Peter is a letter written to people in a community of believers that exist because of the Great Commission. So whenever we look at just this little bit of text in Matthew 28, and then we read the whole of Peter, you're going to see that this is Peter's, the community is living proof of the Great Commission. They are doing the Great Commission. And apologetics is just a little blip in there, um, but it is a command and it's important. 
So they are living in the light of and acting out of the reality of the authority of Christ. They have been baptized in the name of the Father, Holy, or Son, and Holy Spirit, and they have, are continuing to be taught and observing the commands of Jesus Christ. So that being said, first I want us to consider being a great commission apologist. We're not going to talk about really the doing of apologetics. We're going to start with the being. Who is the apologist? The apologist, and if you want a $500 word, what is the ontology of, <laughs> of the apologist? But uh, that, it, that's just a fun little big word I like to use. But yeah, who is the apologist themselves? And this is uh, equally important. This is nothing like there, there's not a preeminent order. They're all co-equal things of who the apologist is, why they are practicing apologetics, and how they are doing apologetics. So here's my sermon in a sentence. A great thing I've learned from Jason in the past, <laughs> and I've used it a couple times, and I've referenced them both. But the sermon in a sentence here is, Great Commission apologists are called to be holy in principle and practice as students of the true triune God's revelation, who then live and proclaim this truth, make disciples, defend and defend their hope as they go. So that's pretty much what I'm about to say. If that's all I, if, if I keeled over right now, you got my sermon. Get that <laughs> Great commission apologists are called to be holy in principle and practice, word and deed, you can put there, um, as students of the true triune, triune God's revelation, who then live and proclaim this truth, make disciples, and defend their hope as they go. So in reading First Peter, if you want to kind of just uh, go back to the first chapters of Peter in your Bibles. We are reading a letter, which at the very beginning we see that this letter is written from the Apostle Peter to the elect or chosen exiles in Pontus, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are being sanctified to be obedient and sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Sanctification. These were people who were living in the Roman provinces of Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. They were living in a time of extreme persecution as chosen and set apart Gentiles among Gentiles. Being elect or called out exiles, they were called to living according to a completely different way of life or what you could call a philosophy or worldview. If you've ever heard those two kind of terms, they were called to a different worldview than what they were raised in and in distinction from the rest of the world around them. And this is, you can see in uh, verse 118 and verse four, three through five. As Peter said that God has called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a worldview issue. In this, Peter points them back to the law of God when God said, be holy for I am holy. A calling that has been what God desires for his people throughout time, and it's still how we as the bride of Christ are called to live as well. This calling means to be set apart in distinction to the world and its standards to God's standards, God's law, God's rules, God's reality. And it's because of this great commission, the revelation it proclaims, and the spirit that empowers it, that these people know reality and thus who they are. They know reality, and they know the reality of themselves. The gospel was proclaimed to them through gospel preachers by the Holy Spirit in verse 112. They had been baptized, implied in verse 321, were taught and continuing to be taught as evidenced by this letter itself and its concluding commands from 4-7 to the end, 
to observe the commands of Christ, which this letter describes the suffering of the obedience they were living out. So, like these elect exiles before us, we are called to the same holiness or, you'd say, set-apartness, something different, like chosen, grabbed, put over here, away from everything, while still existing with, you know, with everything else around. We have inherited philosophies from our fathers and society around us that we've been called out of in our former ignorance of the gospel and rebellion against God philosophies that we must stay out of. In this set-apartness, the truth is revealed. It has been spoken to us. It's not something that we have come to the conclusion from our own reasoning and think thoughts about reality. And we are supposed to set our minds on this and make them ready for action. So again, we have a received faith. You go out there, they're trying to look around and go, I think this is what reality is and this possibly is what happened in the past and what might happen in the future um, and I'm going to basically beat you down until you believe it, right? And you're like, knowledge is a possibility, but no, we know it's a revealed faith. It's a revealed truth. It was told, it was spoken and that's our position as Christians. So, Thus it is because of Jesus and what he has authoritatively revealed about reality that we must keep in mind or keep in our minds and act out of. Therefore, we have a holy revealed knowledge that gives us a holy philosophy that then works in us to act out in holy actions. It's from the pure milk of the word, as Peter says, that we grow into our salvation and to too. This is how these people, and thus we, know the true reality of ourselves. So being an apologist means that from the outset, our identity is a disciple or student of Christ. Therefore, we are all theologians. So I don't know if you've ever thought about that, like theology. That's a lot. That's a lot of study. Um, I'll just leave that to the professionals. You know, People go to seminary. My pastor, he went to seminary. He's a theologian. I'll just let him do that. I'm just going to sit back. And we can't do that. We are all called to, to be theologians. And so you've got this idea of theology in your mind. Maybe this is what we have to peel back, what you think about theology. Well, theology, here's what makes it so easy now. Because theology just means the study of God. Or to better put it, knowing God as he has revealed himself. That's all it really is. So it's really not that hard. Everyone who is truly born again by virtue is a theologian and has a theology. So if I ask you who God is and you give me an answer, you're being a theologian. So simple as that, we're all, the- we're all theologians. You know, you're in different places. You have different amounts of study and different amounts of things that you can put together consistently and deliver and tell people about, but you're all theologians, you know? You don't have to know everything. God doesn't require you to know everything. That's really merciful of him (laughs) that we, we don't. So now not all are gifted to be pastors, teachers, and evangelists in the sense of church office, but Christians are all theologians because if we follow Christ, then we are children of God. And what true child of God does not want to know who his father is? what he is like, what he does. 
What child of a good father does not want to learn from him? So if you're a child of God, if he's a good father to you, if he is speaking, he's just like, listen to me, follow me, watch me. That's all you have to do. Just watch me, learn from me. And he's being merciful over our mistakes and, and allowing for that room of absurdity and, and that room to fall and that room to probably say some really horrible things too and do horrible things. So if God's being merciful, like, can't you see how he never condemns you and puts you to shame, but uses those things that you fall and he picks you back up and goes, yeah, I'm here for you. That's the God. So what kind of person does not want to learn from that kind of father? If you are a child of God, So theology is important because it will determine our apologetic, our defense. Since the, since the specifics um, that we know from Revelation is the hope that is in us that we will be defending. So therefore, we must know and actually hold biblical truth, which is true truth. There's an uh, uh, awesome uh, philosopher, apologist that I really love. His name is Francis Schaeffer, and that's kind of like a... a coined term of his is true truth. He would say true truth or modern, modern science. He would make these distinctions like science in the past, but then we got the science now that you guys know, like my generation got brought up in, maybe our parents too, but back in the day science was actually just the tool it was <laughs> before yeah. it became very religious. Religion yeah, so like this is, what, this is the era that he's speaking into, and he coined this modern, modern science true truth like we live in a postmodern society it's my truth your truth their truth it's all truth right and so he had to make new words to speak like this is true truth so this does require one to be in a personal relationship with god and tomorrow we'll use the awesome word covenantal to be in a covenant relationship with god through jesus christ to study and pray, being immersed in God's word and know what he has revealed about himself, us and the rest of his creation. So now we can get into the area where Peter commands these people and therefore us to be apologists. So if we look in 1 Peter, if you, like, seriously, I want you guys to read. 1 Peter is just an awesome book. It's only five chapters, a few pages. Like this is all copies. That's not a whole lot of paper right there <laughs> um, to read. So this is something that you can dig into. Um, but it starts off with character. That's why the apologist being is such a, a big thing. That's why he starts with the being, to be holy, to be a student. Um, to be a student, like he, he, he mixes just tons of just beautiful, like who is Christ? What has Christ done for you? And then takes this truth and then puts it into application. You know, this is why you rejoice. This is why you do these things, because Jesus did it. And you're, you're being made like Jesus, so act like Jesus. And so it's all this truth that goes into the philosophy that goes into action. This is the Great Commission. And so you can see the Great Commission being worked out here. You can see that he's calling them to be students, that, that the word means something for action. And so, like, he's dealing with the conduct. So, again, that's why it's so important for being an apologist before you get to the, apolog the apologetics part. So, if you didn't have, if you, all you had was Peter 1 and 2 and part of 3, it would just be like, well, I guess I just have to act good. But it's 3 where we get the command to give a reason defense for the hope that lies within us. And so, we, are, we have to talk. 
We have to speak. We have to confront. We have to do all those things that we don't really necessarily like to do. Um, we suffer just, I guess, maybe mentally from the actual having to disagree with somebody, maybe lose a friend, maybe lose a job. I'm a barber, and you know I have to fear every day that I might have to say something stern. Luckily, at another shop where I was by myself, I had a lot more free reign, and I said some pretty harsh stuff, and I couldn't believe some of the people that came back. Um, but I could confront and, and say some pretty bad things, but they came back, and we continued to have conversation. Um, never saw the results, but that's not mine. I can leave that on God, but, you know, um, we live in a day where they're trying to, you can't do that kind of stuff. Um, but it calls us, he calls us here to make a reasoned defense for the hope that lies within us. So we got to talk. So, uh, again, usually whenever I ask people uh, what apologetics is, or at least what 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, um, there are always people that want to speak up on that. They always kind of go, always be ready to make a defense for the hope that lies within you. And I'm, okay, good, you, you memorize scripture, that's great. Um, but that's usually kind of the going thing, is always be ready to make a defense for the hope that lies within you. And that's a good thing that they know this, but they need to realize that it's not the only thing in which this passage tells us to do. If you're looking through First Peter 3, um, 15 range, um, we have to see so there's a lot more written there than just that. So we don't just have to quote, or uh, try to think, we don't just quote a verse here. Um, to feel allowed to be argumentative the way we decide to be argumentative. A lot of people will be like, well, I'm being apologetic right now for my faith. No matter how mean or rude I'm actually being, uh, God told me to do this, right? So we, we don't just pull a verse out here. Um, we have to listen to the whole issue um, at hand. So from what we've seen already, we must be in a humble posture under authority, not arguing for the sake of argument or defending our honor. So before, we need to really see, before always being ready to be prepared or ready or prepared to make a defense for the hope that lies within us, after stating that we should not have any fear or be troubled, even if we suffer for righteousness' sake, that we are to honor Christ the Lord as holy in our hearts. That's also a command. There's two commands here, and one of them gets talked about a lot um, whenever we're talking about apologetics. But these are two co-equal commands. We have to honor Christ the Lord as holy in our hearts. We are to defend the honor of Christ and defend it honorably by God's standards. So when we're thinking about honoring Christ as holy in our hearts, this is the glue that holds all of what came before. Um, for it's the fear of God over against the fear of man that the disciple proclaims and defends. So to put two and two together, we are to live lives that honor Christ's commands, and that will demand an answer from those who are challenging our hope, our faith. So it is in here, um, chapter 313 through, or verse 13 through 30, or 22, explicitly that we see apologetics presupposes the Great Commission, that Christ has authority all over all things. So if you go down to verse 22 in chapter 3, you see Christ went up into the heavenlies. He has authority over all things. So here is like almost a reverse order of what Jesus says in Matthew 28. It ends with Christ's authority after telling you basically all what to do. So now the next question is, what is the hope that lies within you? So 
We have to regard Christ as holy in our hearts. We defend his honor. We're also submitted to his authority. We are humbly submitting to his authority, to his revelation, his truth, his real truth. And then we have to be ready at any time to give a defense for the, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Actually, let's look at uh, being ready at any time. This fits into the theologian. If you're going to be an apologist, if you want to be an apologist, you have to be a theologian. You have to study. If you don't study, how are you going to be ready? And so you need to be a student of the word there so that there's then again, like this is the summation of all that's what's come before and it goes into this speech component of defending the faith. And then also we need to go down to for the hope that lies within you. What do you guys think? Look at that verse. Just look at 1 Peter 3.15. What is the hope that lies within us? If you're just reading the letter of 1 Peter, he's writing to you. What do you guys think that the hope, what is that hope that's within you? That Christ is who he says he is. Anybody else want to? I think our hope is our salvation. Mm-hmm. Knowing that knowing that God has saved us from ourselves, basically. Mm-hmm. So that God's revealed truth about the gospel is that is that hope. I'm glad you guys saw that. Like Paul talking about the defense. The resurrection isn't truth that hasn't taken place, then we're all to be pitied and we have hope, as James said, the salvation that is that is present now ours, so it's like we are saved and still being saved, and we'll be yeah, saved finally. Three. You know, like that ongoing. Thing. Yeah, and all three are in yeah. First Peter as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Saved, saved, being saved, being saved, will be saved. Yeah. Like if you look yeah. at a person that isn't saved, their outlook on life is very bleak. Like mm-hmm. they believe that when they die, they die. That's it. That mm-hmm. is that is where the buck stops yeah. in their life, and it kind of is where the buck. No hope. They have no hope. Mm-hmm. But we have hope. Yeah. And so that's what we're defending. So, yeah, it's very interesting that this is the verse that's supposed to speak on apologetics. This is the go-to. This is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be an apologist. I'm going to do my thing. And this is where I'm going to go. And we're supposed to defend the hope that lies within us. So it's just really interesting. Whenever you go on YouTube, what you're going to see is a bunch of people arguing about, say, the irreducible complexity of the eye. And they want to point that to God, is, God exists. Right. <laughs> you, you, you see all these little particular arguments that go on. And so there, like, and there's different methodologies. I come from a methodology that I think embraces defending the hope that lies within me over evidence for God's existence. We're going to talk about that tomorrow because without God, nothing can be ever evidence, truly evidence. Um, but that, that's the thing is we're defending the hope that lies within us. They're asking. We are being great commission people. We are being holy, made holy, right? And we're living lives that should make the world question us like, why aren't you joining me in my debauchery, whatever it is? Why aren't you acting like, why don't, why do you use the language that you use? Why do you go and hang out with these like stuffy looking people? Just like your life should beg the question that gets you to to the gospel. And so whenever you give them that truth of the gospel, they go, no, that can't be true. And then you go, yes, it is. And then there's methodology. 
after that. That's why, that's where apologetics sits. It's not just going like, well, the irreducible complexity of the eye points to God's existence. It's going, well, really, science is meaningless without God because then you can say, well, the cool thing is, and I'll just give you a preview of my methodology here. The cool thing with science, it begs the question of the uniformity of nature. You have to have the uniformity of nature to be able to have a scientific experiment work. So if you want that scientific experiment done today, by the same way tomorrow that you put this experiment together, you want the same result, right? If you do everything the same, but then you take the present issue and then you go all the way over here in the past and you extrapolate it, but you don't know the conditions over here, but you just see it. So then you actually really don't know. Yeah, so yeah, so that's science. Yeah, so you need the uniformity of nature to go, the past, the present is like the past because of the past, and the future will be like the past because of the past. That's circular reasoning, that's a lot, I get you. But the uniformity of nature, I have a justification as a Christian for it because in Genesis 9, after the flood, Jesus, God promised that he would uphold the universe in a uniform fashion. There's more to that covenant than you actually thought of. And like whenever I saw that, I'm like, holy moly, that's awesome. <laughs> like God promises that we can do science and that we can know the universe through our investigation. I have justification for it. They're just willy-nilly flying around and they can't prove squat. But I have justification for science. So, you know, we can talk about science over here and the particulars of science all day, but the basis of science is God's. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of, so then we can get to that actual hope that lies within us because then we can talk about why the flood? Man was evil. God wiped it out and saved eight because he still loved his creation. He was going to redeem his creation, right? And then you can get into the gospel with these people instead of just sitting there arguing because it's called a logical fallacy of the red herring where they're trying to get you to chase. They want away from the gospel. They don't want you to talk about the gospel, so they're going to talk about this scientific thing over here that doesn't agree with your scriptures and stuff like that. And, and then you're going to get caught into all this, and you're not going to be talking about the gospel. You're just going with them so they can not have to hear it because they don't want to hear it. So that's the, that's the cool thing about doing apologetics, giving the hope, you know, defending the hope that lies within you and just learning how to conversate in that, that way. You're young, you can start out now. I still got a lot of work to do because, I mean, I started this kind of stuff, you know, maybe seven years ago. So I had a lot of preconceived notions. I didn't go to, I didn't do well in school. I didn't care about school. Um, I didn't like to study, and it was actually really the Holy Spirit just making me different to, to do this kind of stuff, to, to care about whenever I could have had a lot more time in the past to do these things, which God probably kept me humble by doing that instead of you know being a cocky 36-year-old now because I went to seminary and you know, I probably wouldn't be here <laughs> but uh, because I'd be a jerk, you know, so... Um, you know, that's the one thing about Jesus, but or about Jesus meeting you. But anyway, I'm, you know, you guys have a lot of time to understand this, but don't let anybody tell you that apologetics is something that is not defending the hope um, that that is within you. Also, just uh, just just to kind of finish up with this one, it says, "Yet yeah, do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience." So that when you are accused, um, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Um, Got to do this with gentleness and respect. Why? Did you have anything to offer God when you when He found you? Do you have anything to offer God? 
does the person that you're speaking with that has something against you in your faith, do they have anything to offer God? So you're both the same, right? You got nothing. So you can't be cocky. You can't be argumentative to be argumentative. You can't claim intellectual or moral superiority over the person that you're talking to, no matter how much they're fighting you, how much they're biting at you. There's no superiority that you have because all that superiority is Jesus Christ and his atonement for you. And so be gentle, be respectful, understand where you came from. We sung that song tonight. That, that is the life of the person that is found by God. Kicking against everything, head full of rocks, heart made of stone, right? And so we have to be gentle, we have to be respectful, we have to treat them because they are sinners, they hate God, we know it, so we expect it, and we show them our holy character that God has placed within us. Be gentle, be respectful of them. Keeping a clear conscience, that means stick with the word of God. Don't go contradicting God because your conscience isn't going to have that anymore. So that when you are accused by those who disparage your good conduct, the Christ will be put to shame. Now, whenever we're disciples, we're supposed to be making disciples, so that, that discipleship element in apologetics is important because we want to make a reconcilial relationship with the person that we are defending the truth against. No matter how mad they are, no matter how mean they are, we want them to see God. We want them to see salvation, right? So um, we've got to be reconcilial. Again, not arguing to argue, not arguing for superiority's sake, um, where you'll see a lot of apologetics go. Um, but we do this to make disciples. So a lot, apologetics is a part of evangelism. It's a part of discipleship. A lot of people want to sp split these things apart and treat them separate. We can't do that. God is a God where all his attributes are co-equally infinite in glory. And we reflect that. And his, his world reflects that. And his ways reflect that. And we have to do the same. We can't lift one thing above another. They, equal truths are equal truths. And so we've got to treat it this way. And so um, that's where I am today. Um, just to, again, just I want to give a little, just a piece of my testimony, you know, um, getting asked questions from, from atheists and stuff like that about my faith. You know, I, I chased the whole science thing. I chased all these things. I found it lacking because they never, they never came to faith, you know. And I, you'd think that apologetics is supposed to change their minds, and it doesn't. It made me disparaged. It made me kind of go, you know, I guess God just doesn't want them, you know, whatever. Kind of uh, put me in a place where um, just felt, I just felt in despair. And then I come to find out from the scriptures that I, I don't save anybody. And God doesn't hold me responsible for the salvation of others other than being the means that I'm supposed to be a means and so apologetics is to be faithful to the word, not to be successful with the results. And that's what I've learned. That's what I've had to repent from. That's, uh, and and uh, that's what I have to defend now. And it's really hard to defend that um, whenever you're talking to the other side um, of a methodological issue and they're a professor <laughs> a, of a big seminary. And uh, I'm just this little dude that kind of gets picked on now. <laughs> because, you know, I look like way too much of a fetus and not a fighter. And a fetus is just somebody who just says, oh, faith, and sloughs it off. I don't do that. We don't do that. But we have to have faith. Um, and, and we have to rely on the promises of God. We have to rely on the truth of God to know anything and do anything, um, be able to move through life. So 
just in conclusion, I want to leave you with some questions to think about. You know, you are here at this um, time, like it's a camp, it's got really bad Wi-Fi, you probably have bad um, reception on your phone, so you've got a lot of time where you can spend in your head, in the scriptures, in community, so don't do this alone, don't suffer with anything in silence, let people know. This is a great position that you've been put in for the next few days. Um, I'm here tonight, I'm here tomorrow. Um, Jason, you know, I know he's a man that's probably on call. Um, you know, just the Gunters, both of them, just beautiful people that are here for you, uh, God has put in your life. And so use this time wisely. Um, you know, I, I'm a working man, I gotta go back to work on Wednesday, and you know, I don't, I don't get it much alone time, I got a family. I've got to deal with and all that stuff. But you guys at your age right now, deal with these things. Love these things. Love Jesus. And uh, defend him and, and make disciples. So to leave you with you know, some questions, you know, are you evidencing holiness in character that is getting the intention of the unholiness around you and you're being asked about it? Is that happening? Do you fear man or do you fear God? Who are you pleasing in your conversations? Are you a student of the word, living in the promises of the merciful and gracious God who has already forgiven you through Jesus? Are you ready to defend because you are a student of the word? If you've had arguments about the truth of Christianity, are they grounded in the revealed truth of God or the philosophies of men? Can you distinguish the two? This can be evidenced by what you're defending. Are, are your words seasoned with the salt of the truth of the gospel or are they word, the words of the world? You know, just think about those questions. Think about conversations you've had. I know that you've probably had to defend the faith at some level. Um, you guys are high school students. It's getting worse and worse in this country. Um, things uh, in the schools that are being taught, you know, it's just really interesting to me how you can go from a science department and talk about everything being molecules and meaningless and then go to the English department and think about beautiful literature from beautiful people. It's, it's meaningless. They're, they're, they're teaching you absurd things, things that do not consistently go together. Um, and you having, if you have the truth, you will be consistent and have the basis for science, have the basis for beauty, have the basis of language. Um, and so you should get asked questions. So just think about these things, um, you know, and apologetics isn't just for unbelief in atheism or in, in um, like agnosticism and stuff. Everybody has unbelief. That's why Peter's writing to these people. They probably are suffering and in doubt, like, is this Jesus thing real? Are we suffering in vain? And Peter's writing to them, no, you're not. You have a living hope. You have a world, like right now is not your home. That's why they're exiles. And he's saying, um, you know, you have future hope to put your mind to. Just as, and while you're suffering right now, it's building your character. And God is making you holy through it. And so there's nothing but good for that.